He is risen. And if you're at home, what you can do is respond by saying, He is risen indeed. He is risen. Welcome to this Easter Sunday online worship experience. We're so glad you've joined us this morning. Andrew, thanks so much for that scripture reading. It's so great to hear about how you and Camille are doing and just getting that little glimpse into your life. I want to invite you as we enter into our sermon this morning to have your Bible open before you as we are going to be referencing the passage that Andrew just read. My name is also Andrew. I'm one of the pastors at First Alliance, and I'm so glad to be with you. Many of us know the truth that peace is dearly bought, that peace is costly, that peace takes effort and sacrifice to obtain and to maintain. Just ask anyone who's fought in a war, just ask anyone who is part of the armed forces, just ask our frontline healthcare workers right now. Just look at how much governments spend on military defense and now how much governments are spending during this COVID pandemic to try to restore the world to some semblance of peace. Our text today brings us into this dynamic as Jesus is alive and risen and he stands in front of his disciples announcing peace to them. And this morning we're going to consider Jesus's resurrection peace, what it is, uh, and then how we get it and how we can live with it. So really we're going to look at Jesus's peace. We're going to look at his presence and then we're going to look at the power that enables us to live in his peace and, and display his peace to the world. Let's start by looking at what his peace is. Look at verse 36. It says that Jesus stood among them, almost like he appears out of nowhere. And the first thing Jesus says to them is, peace be with you. Now picture the disciples. They've just been thrown into absolute turmoil because of recent events. Their teacher, their leader was arrested, put on trial, and was executed on a Roman cross. They thought he was the next king of Israel. They thought he would deliver their people from the domination of the Roman Empire. They thought he would conquer and overcome. But what happened? He died the death of a cursed man. Alongside criminals, he was mocked and he was beaten beyond recognition. By all accounts, this was a horrible ending to a failed movement. And his disciples are sitting in the aftermath of that defeat, dumbfounded and bewildered by this unexpected turn of events, this great upheaval. Can you relate to that feeling? but they've heard rumors. They've heard rumors about a resurrection. Some woman part of their group had gone to Jesus's tomb and they came back saying that Jesus wasn't there, but there were two shining men that told them that Jesus had risen. Another two disciples had been walking on the road to Emmaus and came back claiming that they had just walked and talked with Jesus and shared a meal with him. And now he himself appears, announcing peace. 
Now, when Jesus says, peace be with you, he wasn't just using that word as a customary greeting. You know, peace is the way you say hi in many cultures. Shalom is how you said hi in Jesus's culture. It means peace. Salam in Arabic is how you say hi. It means peace. And even in English, there are subcultures that say peace as a way of salutation. But Jesus isn't just using it as a greeting. He's doing much more. He is announcing the arrival of peace. He is bringing peace. You see, peace in the Bible doesn't just mean the absence of conflict or the absence of chaos. It's actually something positive and powerful. Shalom refers to a state of wholeness and completion and of restored relationship. Think about your home. You can have the absence of conflict at home, but that doesn't mean you have peace. Lots of homes aren't in conflict, but there's also an emptiness. There's also a void. There's a lack of relationship and desire for connection. See, that's not peace. Peace isn't just the absence of conflict. It's the positive presence of restored, healthy relationships. And I want us to consider this morning that when Jesus announces peace to his disciples and to us, that he's announcing something that he himself has accomplished. Until now, peace has been an unresolved thread in the story of the Bible. You see, the Bible is really the story of how the shalom that God enjoyed with humanity was broken by our sin and rebellion. And then it becomes the story of what God has done to restore shalom. How is wholeness going to be restored to a broken and fragmented world? How is reconciliation going to heal the fractured relationship between God and humanity? How is our sin going to be atoned for? How can our guilt be covered? That's the central dilemma of the biblical story. And maybe it's also the central dilemma of your life story. Peace has been broken. We're robbed of peace. It's something that we yearn for so deeply and yet can never seem to attain. How will I ever enter into peace? Jesus shows up alive after giving his life to make peace and he announces peace. And he announces it because he has accomplished it. He has fulfilled God's plan. Look in verse 44. Jesus says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Jesus has carried out God's plan for the restoration of peace, and it was dearly bought. It didn't just happen. Jesus died to make it happen. He atoned for our sins by offering up his own sinless life. He covered our guilt and has overcome death, which is the consequence of sin. Through faith in Jesus, 
we can have peace with God. But notice in this story that Jesus comes and he announces peace, and this is immediately eclipsed by panic. Look in verse 37. It says that his disciples were afraid. They think he's a ghost. They think they're talking to someone who is still dead, a spiritual apparition. Panic is the killer of peace, isn't it? It's the killer of peace in this story, and it's the killer of peace in our lives as well. But Jesus is not faced. Look at how he responds to their panic. What he does is he asserts his presence. He asserts his real presence with them. Look in verse 38. He says, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? And now he brings their focus to his presence. Look at my hands and my feet. He wants to show them the marks of his cross. He wants to tell them that he is the same one who was crucified. He is the one who paid the price of peace, and that he's now present with them. It is I myself, he says. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Then he shows them his hands and his feet, and they start to move from panic to disbelief. Look in verse 41. It says, they still did not believe because of joy and amazement. Joy and amazement. What's going on there? In other words, they think it's too good to be true. They want it to be true, but it seems far too good to be true. And what's happening here is we are watching the disciples as their plausibility structures are getting entirely blown up. What is possible? What is real? What is certain? If there is anything we know for certain as human beings, it's that death is this terrible and unmovable boundary that has the last word over our lives. And yet here's Jesus standing in front of them. Could it be that somehow that unmovable boundary has been broken down and the proof is standing right in front of them? Their minds are just being completely blown. Everything they thought was possible is now coming into question. It's a full-on epistemological and ontological upheaval. And I love what Jesus says next. As their minds are being blown, he asks them, do you have anything to eat? He does something so normal and so mundane. They're experiencing a seismic disturbance and he's like, let's sit down and let's have some fish and chips. I'm sure they didn't have chips with their fish, but it would be appropriate and called for. Now, this might not seem important that Jesus asks for food, that he shows them his hands and feet, but Luke includes these details for a very important reason. He wants to make the point that Jesus was really physically raised from the dead and that he was really physically 
present with his disciples. He had a body. It was a resurrection body. Yes, but it was a body. Jesus doesn't just seem to be present with them. He is present. He's not an apparition. He's not a projection of their imagination or their hopeful wishes. He is really there. You see, on Easter, we celebrate and announce the real resurrection of our Lord. Resurrection is not first and foremost a metaphor. Resurrection is not first and foremost an allegory. The resurrection of Jesus is first and foremost a historical fact. It happened and it has completely changed everything. And now, resurrected from the dead, he has a real body. He eats real food. He's really alive. And we can only experience peace as we are convinced of his presence with us. That's how Jesus moves them out of their panic and out of their doubt. He asserts his presence so that they might enter into peace. And so peace and the presence of Jesus are are bound together. After announcing his peace and asserting his presence, what Jesus does is he now talks about power. He gives them power. He, He shows them how they are to live in his peace and to display his peace in their lives. And there's three things I want us to notice about this power. The first thing to notice is that it is a power for proclaiming. It is power for proclaiming. Look in verse 47 and 48. He says, you are witnesses. You are witnesses of his death and resurrection. You are witnesses of of repentance and forgiveness of sins that are now to be proclaimed in his name to all nations. This is what we are empowered to do. This is what we are empowered for, for our whole lives to announce what God has done to make peace. And here's the thing. We can't do that unless we've entered into it ourselves. We first have to repent and turn back towards God. We, God, we first have to receive forgiveness for our sins through the cross of Christ. That's the first step to receiving the power that Jesus gives. And, and that's counterintuitive. Because this way of receiving the power of Jesus first means I need to be defeated by the cross of Christ. It means I need to lay my life down with Christ in his death. And only in doing so can I be raised into newness of life. Resurrection only comes to those who have died. And it comes to those who have died with Christ. Who have identified with Jesus in his death and have put all their trust and hope in him. In order to receive this power, we first need to have entered into the peace of God through the cross of Christ. Secondly, notice about this power in verse 
45, how he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. The role of the Bible and how God empowers us is crucial. He helped his disciples to see what we all need to see, that the whole Bible is about Jesus, that it's a story about what God has done in Jesus to restore peace. He opened their minds to see that his cross wasn't forced on him, that his death did not derail God's saving plan for the world, but it was the plan all along. It was the plan all along that through the cross of Christ, peace would be restored. The understanding of scripture is central to the power that Jesus wants to give us to abide in his peace. As you read later in the book of Acts, Peter's preaching is just full of his deep understanding of the Bible and its message about Jesus. Thirdly, I want us to notice about this power. Notice that phrase in verse 49. He says, And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The promise of his Father and the power with which they are to be clothed is the same reality. It's the same person. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who breathes life into all of this. He breathes life into the scriptures that we might understand them. He illumines our minds. Uh, The Holy Spirit is the one who brings conviction about our sin and leads us to repentance, to enter into the peace of God through the cross of Jesus. The Spirit is the very presence of Jesus. Jesus' ascension In verse 51, how he goes up into heaven is not the removal of his presence from earth, but it leads to the absolute inundation of his presence everywhere through the Holy Spirit who takes up residence in his people, the church. I love what William Hendrickson says. He says, while he was still on earth, he, Jesus, was present with the church. Now he is present in the church. In other words, he has departed from us in order to draw even closer to us. Jesus' ascension is not the removal of his presence because he ascends in order to send the Holy Spirit that he might be in us. This is the good news for us this Easter morning that the resurrection peace of Christ is ours, that Christ himself is present with us by the Holy Spirit, and he's empowering us to be witnesses, to share his good news and live it out. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, the good news is that the peace of Christ can be yours. The central dilemma of your life can be resolved if you put your fundamental life trust in him. You might even say to Jesus, you know, Jesus, I don't know what it's going to mean to give my life to you, but I want to trust you because you gave your life for me and I want to live in your peace. I want to encourage you to give your life to Jesus this morning. 
The next step, if you do so, is just to let us know. The last word, and this is a word that might be particularly applicable to you. I already said that panic is the killer of our peace. We're living in a time where we are vulnerable to panic. We're living in a time as a church with so much change and so much transition that we're vulnerable to panic. We're vulnerable to fear, despair, criticism, backbiting, and unbelief. As we focus on the upheavals we're facing as a society and as a church, we are vulnerable. But what we need to do this morning is to take our focus and place it on Jesus. We're going through so much change right now. And change is hard because it scares us. It puts us on edge. But, and this is what we need to know, we have the risen Christ standing before us, inviting us to receive his peace and to live in his peace, to know his presence and to be clothed with his power. If you're caught in panic this morning and in this time, welcome the Holy Spirit to assure you of Christ's presence and power, to assure you that he is in control, that we are his church, that he has good plans and a bright hope in store for us. Invite the Holy Spirit to pour out the love of God within your heart. Jesus Christ is the crucified and risen Lord who reigns over all the earth, and he himself is our peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this good news that you have resolved the central dilemma of human history and the central dilemma of our lives. You have opened up the way for us to enter into peace through your son, Jesus. I pray that for those of us who have not yet entered into that peace, that we would do so. And I pray for those of us who have entered into your peace, who have given our lives to you, that we would respond to your invitation to abide and to experience, to live in your peace, your presence, and your power this morning in a new way and in a fresh way. Lord Jesus, we turn away from panic. We repent of fear. We repent of unbelief. We want to trust you and follow you to what you have in store for us. We thank you that you are crucified and we thank you that you have risen and you are alive and well and you reign as Lord even now. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to leave you with a benediction from the book of Numbers. And it's a benediction that I hope uh, sends us out in the peace of Christ. If you would receive this benediction from Numbers chapter 6, uh, after I give it, you can respond with an amen.
That's just a simple way of agreeing with the words that have been spoken. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.